Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to read into chapter 5. John's going to be taking us through this in a moment or two. <clears throat> We've been looking at Ecclesiastes in these evenings and uh, discovering that uh, this rather enigmatic book is just full of truth for our lives to help us know how we should live. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you've got a pew Bible, it's page 670, 670. And we're going to read from uh, the beginning of chapter 4 into uh, the first seven verses of chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, page 670. This is God's Word. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of, the, of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later we're not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. 
Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the, the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Amen. We trust that God will <clears throat> bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, if you have your Bible, please do turn it open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and to chapter 5. This passage, people have been asking me this week, how are you getting on in preparing Ecclesiastes? I said to them, this passage is like an Rubik's cube. Every time you feel like you've got one place, one square in the line, the other one seems to shift. But hopefully we will see a road through this. I believe that the teacher is trying to show us. And remember, as we approach wisdom literature, it's not read like an epistle. It's not read with the, the same flow that we see with Paul in, in maybe 1 Timothy as we were looking at just a couple of months ago. This is wisdom literature, and therefore we deal with it slightly differently. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and then into chapter 5 tonight as we look at this together. How then shall we live? How then shall we live? If I was to put a title on tonight, that's really what we're trying to think about and to borrow it from Francis Schaeffer in his book, How Then Shall We Live? Here's a quote. Benjamin Franklin said this, life's tragedy is that we get, too, we, we get old too soon and wise too late. We get old too soon and wise to late. So if you're a younger person in the congregation, well, count yourself to be on the right side of things. Your hair's still dark, and it hasn't started to gray yet. And so maybe this quote won't be true for you as we look at this book that contains great wisdom. So here's the question for us tonight. Where am I going in my life? Where am I going? I want to achieve this. I want to have that. I want to, I want to accomplish such and such a thing. Where am I going in my life? Goals, targets, dreams, ideas. And then if you are a little bit grayer in the, on the scalp, if you're a little bit more uh, aged, shall we say, you're thinking, I, I thought I would have achieved this. I thought I would have achieved that. I really wanted to have done this. What am I living for? All of us tonight, what am I living for? Now, before you take a midlife crisis or a quarter-life crisis as you answer those questions, we want to look at what the writer of Ecclesiastes has to teach us tonight. And as we do this, we're, we're going to use the markers that the writer uses to, to break up the passage. So look at, look at the passage with me. And actually, just before the passage, if you look at chapter 3 and verse 16, do you see this little identifier, moreover, I saw? And then again, as we come into 3.22, the writer says, the teacher says, I saw. And then again into chapter 4 into verse 1, I saw. And so we're going to use this as markers to get our way through this passage. And as we do this, I want us to imagine tonight that we're going on a walk. Imagine that we're going on a walk with the teacher, and he's going to stop at various points, and he's going to ask us, observe this. Observe this. Observe this. And as he does so, he's going to warn us about human life. So there's a great warning contained within these passages. And as we walk with the teacher here tonight through, what we're on is the path of wisdom. And this path, I want you to imagine, is narrow. 
It's a narrow path. The, the journey is dangerous, and so you're going to have to use your minds and your imaginations as we pull this picture together. So let's let the teacher take us by the hand and show us the way of life, this path of life. Come with me along this road, and let's peer and study at what we see along the way. The pursuits of the world. The pursuits of the world. We're going to see four things here. So, as we walk along the road, around the first corner, the teacher stops and he points us to the low-lying field of oppression. And that's verses 1 of chapter 4 through to verse 3. Here we see what wrongly used power does. It corrupts. It corrupts the heart, and it treads down the weak. And so, as we walk along this narrow path of wisdom, as we walk along this narrow path of life, what is it all about? The teacher stops us just round the first corner, and he says, look at this field. Look at the people that are in this field. And what do we see? We see that there is much corruption. There is pain upon the faces of the people that are in this field. There's abuse and much violence. The weak are taken advantage of. The poor are trampled by the strong. And just imagine in this field every type of oppression that you could picture. Racial oppression. Sectarian oppression. National oppression. Slavery. Domestic oppression. Mental oppression. Physical oppression. Sexual oppression economic oppression, religious oppression, social oppression, political oppression. And in this low-lying field of oppression, we see the, the horrors of power. Look at verse, the end of verse 1. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. The ground of this field is wet with the tears of these people. And you can imagine that the walls of this field are high. There's no escape for the people that are there. The powerful do as they please. They bully and they persecute. The powerful mock and they strike at those who are under their feet. The low-lying field of oppression is a field of wickedness. And so the teacher holds us by the hand, and as we look at this field, he says, beware, beware, lest you should become the oppressor. This field is attractive for some. They look at it, and they see the power of the strong. They, say, they see those who are puffed up with their chests enlarged, and they think, I, I could do that. I could do that really well. And just like Schaeffer's book, How Then Shall We Live?, we see that generation after generation that people are attracted to this field, and they love this field. Dictator after dictator, throughout the generations, one after the other after the other. We don't even have to look at political systems to see this. Sure, we don't. We can see it in our own workplaces, maybe in our schools, in our universities. We see those who love power, and whenever they obtain it, they don't use it for good, but instead they use it to trample and to tread others down. Beware lest you should be the oppressor. 
The teacher says, see what power can do. See the devastation that it can bring. See how it can bring devastation in marriages and in homes, in communities, in countries, and on a global scale. And as we look with the teacher, what, what happens then? We'll look at the teacher goes on, and in, in verse 2, he goes on to say, better to be dead than there. Better, better to not have been born at all, verse 3, but better than both is he who has not yet been and who has not yet seen the evil deeds. He sees this with us. He looks at the field of the oppressed, and he says, it's better not to have been born. And so the first stop on this path is one that stings the eyes to look at. It's uncomfortable because we know that we have this evil within us. We are capable of evil just like this. Sometimes we play the game with young people. If you were in charge of the whole world, what would it be like? And depending upon their age, if they're, if they're small, they might say, well, it's full of ice cream and bouncy castles. But as they get a little bit older... As we answer that question, it would be a world that would suit ourselves. Uh, uh, we live in an echo chamber, don't we, where we, we honor ourselves. It would be our rules. And what would our rules quickly do? Our rules would tread others down. This scene would be repeated. And so the word of the teacher is beware. The teacher then moves on. And we walk on and around the next corner and over the bridge, we come to verses 4 and verses 6. And what do we see here? Well, we see this beautiful little village. And the, the sign on the entrance to the village reads, Envy Avenue. Envy Avenue. It looks like a lovely place to live. We look at the teacher and a, a smile comes onto our face. We think, oh, this is, this is better. This looks good. A place where everyone seems like they're happy. Everyone's living comfortably here. This is a good place. And in all of our excitement, as we've been inflated like a balloon, the, the teacher pulls out a pen and he, he pops our balloon and he says, look closer. Look carefully. Behind the nice gardens and the nice homes, the nice lives, do you see people's blinds? Do you see how they're always twitching in this community? In Envy Avenue, everyone's staring at one another. They're all competing against one another. They speak in their lovely homes and they say, did you see what they have down the street? Did you hear what they're going to do, where they're going to go? well, we're, we're going to have to get a new Mercedes or a new BMW or we're going to have to get a new bathroom because they got a new bathroom and we're going to have to get new curtains because we've had these for three years. They had their curtains for two years and they've replaced them. Everything's Bedlam in Envy Avenue. And quickly we see a neighborhood that's distraught, distraught with envy and anxiety. Verse 4, Then I saw all toil and all the skill and work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is striving after wind. You see, what's verse 4 saying? People become more talented and more skillful at their jobs, not so that they can bless others, but so that they can undo, and, uh, sorry, outdo one another and compete and tread down the other. There's a nice exterior in this community. There's a nice exterior on Envy Avenue, but behind it all, we find broken people. 
and it's relentless. And then at the back of this neighborhood, at the back of Envy Avenue, I want you to imagine there's a little creek. And at the creek, what do we see? Well, we see verse 5. The fool fools his hands, and he eats his own flesh. He's looked at those who are twitching their blinds and who are striving to, to toil and to work, that are caught up in anxiety and competition. And so what does he do? What does he do? He takes himself down to the little creek, and he folds his arms, and what happens to him? Well, he starts to eat his own flesh. This person says, we have had enough. They can't be bothered. They're too lazy to try, and so they sit there, and they slowly die. They'd hardly lift a finger to feed themselves. They're slobs or sponges, as we would say. And so the two are completely opposite, aren't they? completely opposites of how people should live. But the teacher says this is a frightening place for us because it's attractive at first glance. Just like the field of the oppression, oppression was attractive to some, the low-lying field, so too Envy Avenue is attractive to some. And as we walk along this path of life, people are, are taken off the path and, and they wander into the field of the oppression, or they wander into Envy Avenue. Beware, says the teacher. And then he says, better, better this. And this is a refrain that runs through. He says, look and see. And then he says, better is. That's kind of the bookends of, both, of each section. So this is a dangerous place. And then he says, better. Better a little contentment, verse 6 than two hands of anxiety and toil. Better to have less than to have more. Well, we walk on still a little further, and this time we go over the hill, and now we come round to another corner, and we stop with the teacher, and this time we stop at Lonely Street. Lonely Street, verses 7 through to 13. Here we see a person that is all alone. And they run frantically around on Lonely Street. They run from their house, this huge house, over to this place that they work in. And they run there and they sit and they type at their desk frantically. They have hardly time for lunch. They have hardly time for a coffee. They're glued to their screen. And the only time they take their eyes off the screen is to lift their phone and talk to someone else about their work. Now, the person that this is, we're told that, they, they, you imagine this, their house is massive, verse 8. Their eyes are never satisfied with their riches. They've got every piece of technology, everything that they could ever want. They've got a garage with, with BMWs and Mercedes-Benz and Rolls-Royces and Ferraris and Lamborghinis and, and whatever you think, they have it. But the teacher says, look, they are alone. They're alone, and they don't even realize that they're alone. Christmas comes, and Christmas goes, and they're alone. This man works. The warm summer's nights, they come, and they go, and he works. The beauty of the spring flower comes and goes, and he works. And so as a tear runs down the face of the teacher, as a tear runs down our face at this lonely workaholic, the teacher explains to us, 
Two are better than one. Three are better than two. Community is better than isolation. But this is a, it's a magnetic place for many, isn't it? Taking us off this path of wisdom, off the path, path of life, because we look and we, we see all that this man has achieved, and we think, oh, I want to do that. I want to follow in his footsteps. Teacher, can I, can I go there? And he says, look, see him there, all alone. Well, we walk on a little further. And so far, this has been a pretty bleak walk, hasn't it? Well, let's go to another place. Around the next corner, we come to the cliff of inevitability. The cliff of inevitability. And this is a stunning place. We see this wonderful high cliff, and we see a man standing right on the edge of it. And the sun is beaming upon his face. He stands with his chest puffed out. He wears a crown upon his head. What a sight. Oh, surely, teacher, this is where we want to be. Surely we need to go there. And as we, as we go to run, it's almost like he's got one of those little safety leads for children on us. And as we, as we go to run there, he, he yanks us back. He says, no, no, no. Just wait till we see. And suddenly another man or woman or person runs from behind and pushes this guy off the cliff. And he plummets to his death. And now this person stands just like the person before and their chest is puffed up and a crown is upon their head and they think that they rule over all. And within 60 seconds, another person charges at them and pushes them off the cliff and they plummet to their death. And the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. Verse 14, for he went from prison to throne Though in his own kingdom he had been born poor, I saw all the, living one, all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. He takes the king's place. And there was no end of it all. All the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity. This cycle is vanity. The teacher says, no, we do not want to go up to this cliff. This is the world working. The rise to fame, the rise of power, the, the young man, the young woman who has all of their ambitions, they, they take the place on the cliff, their chests are puffed out, their crown upon their head, and they try to cling on to all that they have attained in life. They try to cling on to their position, and they're brought into the boardroom meeting, and in the boardroom meeting, they're told, look, this company's going in a different direction. Thank you for all that you've done, but it would be great if you could take early retirement. Otherwise, we're just going to have to get rid of you. And then the person that takes their place thinks, well, now I've arrived. Now I'm going to rule. Now people are going to obey me in this place, and they too will fall. It's pointless. People come, people go, people rise, people fall. People come and take your place, and you're forgotten about. You're replaceable. You are forgettable. You too will fall one day and die, says the teacher. And then what does he say? Well, he says, better to us. Better, says the teacher, to be poor and wise. Better to work at a lower station than to become a king 
and to fool yourself into thinking that you are invincible. This journey with the, the teacher on the path of life, he has shown us four different places, and all four of them are attractive, but as they're attractive, as we scrape back the layers, we see that actually we're totally repulsed by it. So let's pause, let's reflect on this so far before we go on. Can we identify where we have wandered off the path? Maybe as, as we're starting to explain this passage, we can identify where others have wandered off the path, people in our life. Can we see where our friends and family members perhaps live in the low-lying field of the oppression, maybe on Envy Avenue, maybe there are are on Lonely Street, maybe they're on the cliff of inevitability. And really what we see is that this chapter is the, the ethos of our society. This is where we are at as a people. The world in which we live loves this, and it can't see what the teacher is showing us. It can't see the wisdom that he's revealing to us. It's the rat race of human life, and it's a mess. And it's disheartening, isn't it? Meaningless, meaningless, all meaningless. The power of the, the world, says Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The skilled person only trying to beat the other. The one who works hard can't find perspective. He's all alone or she's all alone. And the power hungry, they can't see that their moment of fame will only last for a blink. And so this is mirrored then over into chapter 5. We want to imagine that here's the, the teacher, and he's taken us through chapter 4. There's going to be a section that we're going to come to in just a moment in the middle. Uh, and then he tries to make it even plainer for us, just in case we missed it, because it is tricky as we read through it. So look at chapter 5 and verses 8 through 9. He tells us really simply, there's always a higher ruler, and there's always oppression that will flow downstream. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. The cry is always more. Verses 11 and 12. You may have a lot, but you'll eat so much that whenever you eat it, you won't be able to stop. And that will keep you up all night. It's this image of the person that just indulges in all that they can. And then verses 13 through 17 it's like an old country song, you're going out the same way you came in. That's effectively what it says. You come into this world with nothing in your hand, and you will leave with nothing. And so the teacher, as we've been working through, there's four betters that we've charted. Verse 3, better to be dead. Verse 6, better to have quietness. Verse 9, better are two than one. Verse 13, better to be poor than wise. And yes, this is wisdom, but what the teacher is trying to show us is that this is the wisdom of the world. Here's a bad situation, and here's a reasonable alternative. Here's some worldly wisdom. But what it should taste like in our mouths as we read the wisdom of the teacher, it should taste like, and if you like this, then I don't mean to offend, but you know like Tesco Rola Cola? Okay, the brand, the cheap knockoff brand of the real thing, it should taste a little bit like that. Or I came up with a new name, Rice Krispie Crumbles instead of Rice Krispies. Rice Krispies itself, Rice Crumbles instead of Rice Krispies. You know that, that feeling, I'm not satisfied with this. It's, it's not good enough. I need more. 
And so by the time we end chapter 4, that should be our response. I need more. Teacher, show us more. Surely our journey can't end here on the path of life. Take us somewhere else. How then shall we live? Well, he takes us to the house of God. Chapter 5 and verse 1. To the house of God we go. The teacher walks us on and around the next bend. We see set on a mountain, a place that we know is a refuge. And the teacher tells us that it's the house of God along this narrow way. That's where we've been going on this journey. And so verse 1, he tells us, guard your steps. Guard your steps. Watch where you walk, lest you should fall into the wayside of all of these places that we have passed. Verse 1, draw near and listen. Draw near to the Lord's house and let us close our mouths and let us listen to Him. Because as, as, chapter, as chapter 4 ends, you can imagine us, imagine the teacher is this older person. We are the small little person holding on to their hand. And like young people full of enthusiasm and questions, we're asking, but, but teacher, why? Why is, why is that the case? And why are those people doing this? And why are they doing that? And, and surely we could fix it. Surely if, if everything was just ice cream and bouncy castles, it would be so much better. Surely we have a better way to run this place. Surely we would run the world in a better way. And what does the teacher say? He says, shush. Listen. Listen to the voice of God. Draw near and listen. Verse 2, don't be rash with your mouths. Don't be hasty with your words. The Lord is the creator. And we are the creature, verse 21. For God is in heaven. And you are on earth, says the teacher. Recognize the presence of the one in which we stand. See him for who he is. And if you had any wisdom, you'd close your mouth. You'd guard your steps. You'd listen to his words. So don't tell the Lord who reigns above all, the one who is in sovereign control of all things, don't tell him how to govern his world but instead come in and listen to him. Stand, look at how it ends in verse 7, stand, the NIV has, stand in awe of him. The ESV translated, it translates it, be in fear of the God that you stand before. Come into the Lord's house where he rules. And don't come with all of your ideas Come and listen to His Word and to His ways and to His truth because that is how you will live the life that has been set out before you. If we were to summarize chapter 4 as we glance back at it, it would be this, that people want power, they want possessions, they want prosperity, and they want position. Power, possessions, prosperity, position. And we shout and we fight, we clamber for it, we dream and we scheme, we talk much, and the world is a noisy place. But as we come into the Lord's house, it's a quiet place. We recognize 
him. So the teacher says, as you come into the Lord's house in chapter 5, what's he asking us to do? He's asking us to set aside power and possessions and prosperity and position. Wake up, he says. Rub your eyes. See the teacher. See, see, the teacher says, see the Lord. Verse 18, behold, behold who the Lord is of chapter 5. See it? Behold, I have seen to be good and fitting. It is, it is to eat. I have seen how good it is to be uh, eating and to drinking and to find enjoyment. But notice, notice the correction here. The correction is that uh, the good life comes from the Lord and all that He has given. So power and possessions and prosperity and position, they're, they're okay and possessions, they're okay if we recognize whose hand they come from. And as it were, as David Gibson says, we start to live our life backwards. We see that everything comes from the Lord. He's in control of all things. He's the one who is in heaven, and we live in light of that. He's the creator. We're the creature. And so he says, live our lives in light of this. Stop living for yourself. Live for God and for His glory. Walk along this narrow path. And don't get pulled into the ditches of selfishness. If you have food and drink, enjoy it because it's from God, Christian. If you benefit from working hard, share it and enjoy it because it's from God. If you do have position or possessions or power or prosperity, enjoy it, rejoice because it comes from God. Then verse 20, what do we see? For your life effectively is going to be a mist, as we've talked about. For he will not, not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What does this mean? It means that, that we're here and then we're gone. And, and the Lord will give us good things in our life, little moments to enjoy. But more than that, he will give us the knowledge of being united to his son, the Lord Jesus. And that will be our joy. The joy of the Lord will be our strength each and every day. And what will happen? The Lord will give us joy, verse 20, and our life will be gone in a, in a flash, like a little happy mist. We will be here, and then we will evaporate, and we will go. And the teacher says, get the perspective. If you have lots or if you have little, you live for the Lord. You live at His feet. You draw near into His presence you listen to His words. You cherish His ways. You submit to His plans. We live at His feet. And I would have loved, if time had permitted, to, to illustrate this through Proverbs as well. Just a little snapshot of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. Don't we know? Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will do what? He will make straight your paths as we walk along the path of life, this narrow road, the psalmist says in Psalm 119 and 105, the Lord is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path along this narrow road. And so we should live for God's glory. Get things the right way round. 
And that's why the teacher takes us right in the middle of chapter 4 and chapter 5 to the Lord's house. It's as if we, we ascend from one side, chapter 5, and we ascend from the other side in chapter 4, and we see the Lord enthroned above all. And this picture of who He is, it, it, should, it should help us let all the other places fade into the background. We thought Envy Avenue was beautiful. Oh, we thought the cliff of inevitability was a stunning place, but it doesn't compare whenever we see the Lord supreme and high and lifted up. So come with me to Matthew chapter 16. Because in Matthew chapter 16, we hear Jesus speaking. And whenever Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 16, and in verse 24, listen for the similarities of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and 5. Jesus speaks to his disciples in Matthew 16 and in verse 24, and he says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." It's just like the teacher speaking from Ecclesiastes, isn't it? What will it profit a man? What will it profit a woman if they should gain this whole world? If they have all the power and the prestige and processions and positions that they could ever ask for, if they, if they have it all, what will be the gain? And the, the, the teacher tells us in Ecclesiastes that it's, it's pointless. He's trying to keep us on the narrow road. He's saying, don't get distracted. Your world is going to say you should live here or you should live here. And your enemy, Satan, he knows the bend of your heart. And he knows which position he wants you in. And he knows which of us will be more attracted to the field of oppression and to Envy Avenue and to Lonely Street, to be a workaholic and to the cliff of inevitability. He knows. Well, what does Christ say? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The teacher says, look, look behind the scenes. Don't waste your life. Come with me to the house of God. Come with me to see His kingdom and His ways and the life that He sets before you. And so as we close tonight, really what Ecclesiastes 4 and Ecclesiastes chapter 5 points us towards is the call of the gospel to live our life the right way around. It's the wisdom of God. The teacher wants us to see the brokenness of the desires of man's heart. He wants us to see the pain that it brings, the pain that 
power can bring, the, the, the strife that envy can bring, the, the pointlessness to seeking positions of prestige. And then he wants to see our God, the one who is in heaven, who reigns above all. He wants to see us to see him in all of his beauty. He wants to give us perspective. And so tonight, when we see the world in these four places, and then we're confronted with the beauty of our God, of His kingdom, of who Christ is, of what Christ has done for us, His forgiveness for lost, broken people, the Christ that comes along this narrow road and lives a life of obedience along the narrow road. And what does he do? Well, he tells us, don't you come off the path, but I'm going to go off the path. And what am I going to do? I'm going to take people out of the field of, of oppression, and I'm going to save them. And watch me go into Envy Avenue and bust the doors open of people's houses and bring them onto this path and open their eyes. Watch me as I go to the cliff of inevitability and I grab people as they fall over the edge of it and I bring them to salvation. Watch me as I go on the lonely street and take people and save them by my grace. Watch me do my work, says Jesus. And then to know that you were once in these places too. Jesus says to all of us tonight, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? See your life in me, says Christ. I came so that you may have life and have it in its fullness. So I can let you see that your life is but a, a happy mist on this earth. You're here today and then you're gone, but you'll be with me forever in glory. Where I am, there you may be also. The one who came so we could enjoy the goodness of God for all of eternity. What, the, what can this world then offer us? How then shall we live? For God's glory, to magnify Christ, to, to rejoice in Him and what He has done all the days that He gives us, and then to say to others, come onto this path and follow our Savior. Let me take you round the corner and over the hill and let me show you the beautiful kingdom of our Father in heaven. And he calls to you, do you want to be part of it? He says, come. Come and you can. With joy in our hearts, this is how we live our lives, knowing that we will reign with Christ forever, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have taken us on a journey this evening. And Father, if we're really honest before you tonight, our feet often wander off the path. And Jesus, just like the lost sheep, you come and you put us on your shoulders. And you put us the right way around and you carry us back onto the path. We thank you tonight, Lord, for forgiveness. Our hearts are wicked. 
we're prone to wonder. We're prone to leave the God that we love. Jesus, we're, we're prone to forget what you've done for us upon the cross at Calvary. We're prone to forget the power of the resurrection. We're prone to forget our very identity of being sons and daughters of the living God. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that tonight by your power, you would keep our feet on the path. And as we come around the corner and over the hill, that we would see the beauty of our Savior and the house that He has prepared for us. And that you, Jesus, will lead us home. You're calling to us. And one day soon you will return, or one day soon you will call us into your rest, and for that we cannot wait. But between now and then, protect us. Keep us from the ditch of selfishness. Guard our steps. Would your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path? We thank you that you are the God of all wisdom. And we thank you that you show us the way of life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight as we, as we respond to God's Word, a, a hymn that I thought would be appropriate for us is this hymn that the Lord is sovereign over us. That in life's journeys, along life's path, there are many things that we will face, many difficulties and, and times of trial. But what do we need to know? Well, just like the teacher takes us into Ecclesiastes 5, the Lord reigns and He is sovereign over us. So let's sing this for His glory.